Hi, this is Plum, and we are on Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Keep your hand on the plow and keep looking straight ahead because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And his grace can not only deliver you, his grace can keep you. Thank you, Plum, for the introduction. Plum is absolutely out to revolutionize the way women talk with each other and how they treat each other. She shares her thoughts on episode 114. That's on faithsedge.com. 114. That's on faithsedge.com slash 114. Well, welcome to the 115th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I am joined by renowned preacher, Bible teacher, and now singer, James Gall. He shares his musical debut project, Never Alone, as well as a deep conversation on how music has always been his passion, but why he waited until he was in his 60s before pursuing it. We talk about the passing of his wife, Michael Ann, and the effect that it had on him, and the effect that it had on this project. We talk about the relationship that he had with his dad, and how he brought his dad to salvation, and how his mother and his dad were so very different. But in Never Alone, James takes on some of the most sacred, inspirational, secular songs, like What a Wonderful World, Unforgettable, and What the World Needs Now. 40 books. So many years, James. Author and preacher. Why a music project? So before I was a preacher, I actually was a singer. So I grew up as a singer, and uh, like in high school and college and things like that, that's what I was known for. And uh, my uh, late wife and I, she was a trained contralto, and so we sang together a lot. But I did put it on the shelf, and uh, for other priority reasons. But it was always what was my delight. And so I went through a period of time of kind of like a meltdown in a sense with nine years of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer Mm. and my wife graduated to be with the Lord and I became a single dad. And so was it a midlife crisis? I don't know. But it was me truly trying to reach into the heart of God and to my own life, my roots. Who am I? Why am I still here? What was I created for? I started asking the questions at 62, three, four years old that you ask when you're 20. My gosh. Why am I here? And in that journey, what I found out was this. Music, other than my life with God, in Him we live and breathe and we have our being. But music, I found, brought more life to me singing than anything that I did. When you reflect back Mm -hmm. all those years ago, and James, you've certainly made a contribution to the kingdom. Thank you. Over 40 books, president of God Encounter Ministries, uh, a speaker, a preacher, uh, you've certainly made a contribution to the kingdom. That said, when you think back, (laughs) when you reflect Mm -hmm. back, why didn't you follow your dream? Oh, that's really a good question, Joe. So I would say I did follow my dream, and my dream was to obey God, 
and his word and fulfill that sense of calling. But in the period of time of me growing up in the faith, there were, I would say there was probably an overemphasis on dying to self. And in that, it was wrongly maybe interpreted on like not just gifts, but talents. And you had to lay everything on the altar, you know, which in one way, see, that, that is correct. Believe me, I believe in dying to self, picking up our cross, you know, daily. But I think that in the period of time when I was uh, coming forth, you know, emerging in the Jesus People movement and different things of the Holy Spirit, there was an overemphasis on giving up everything. So in my pursuit to just love God with all my heart, I did. I gave up, in a sense, my talents, not giftings. Talents and giftings aren't necessarily the same. It was an extreme reaction or response to the times that uh, I grew up in. Because we also believed that Jesus was coming back any day. I was a member of the Bachelor to the Rapture Club. Not really. (laughs) Not really. Okay. So you had blinders on. You didn't think it because Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Right. Well, he's still coming back tomorrow. But he hasn't come back yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so, he's coming back on somebody's tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's <laughs> right. coming back. Yeah, not, but my today is, was yesterday's tomorrow. Right, right. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're all products of the periods of time that we grow up. And that's part of my journey. Never alone. Yes, sir. Your first music project, your first, I guess, commercial music project yeah. at 65 years old. Mm-hmm. You spent so many years as a preacher and as a teacher, as an author, very cerebral, frankly. You would think that your first musical project would be more worship (laughs) instead of inspirational. And this is certainly an inspirational project. Why did you go that path? I actually did not originate this, this project. The Holy Spirit did to me. I'm ministering at a conference and the Holy Spirit whispers to me, in the middle of a very uh, well-known person speaking named uh, Heidi Baker. And Heidi Baker is a dear friend of mine and our family, and she's ministering. But the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me personally. And he goes, I want you to sing. I go, okay, well, I'm sung. I still sing. He goes, no, I want you to record. I mean, this was like four and a half years ago. I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was on a quest of rediscovering life after tragedy. So you got to have that picture frame. I was on a quest of rediscovering life after tragedy. It's a big issue. What brings life to me? And the Holy Spirit whispers to me in that context. He says, I want you to sing. No, I want you to record. And here was, here was what came to me. I want you to sing inspirational music, not worship, inspirational music that the world knows because I want the sound of your voice to touch the world. Wow. What would Michael Ann say about this project? <laughs> She'd smile. I think she'd be, I think she'd be, shoot, I think she'd be enormously proud of me. I have kept my hand on the plow. 
I dedicated. <laughs> You're touching something that's so sweet and sensitive to me. I dedicated this album to my father, my earthly dad, who I did not have a good relationship with. My mother was an intercessor, a holiness woman, a prayer warrior. But my father was kicked out of the house when he was 12, was homeless, got a sixth grade education. So my mom and dad didn't come from the same side of the tracks. But yet they married and stayed married and through their ups and downs. But I got to actually lead my own earthly father to authentic faith. Water baptize him, pray with him to get forgiven, pray with him to get filled with the Holy Spirit. I got to preach at my father's funeral. And I remember as a kid watching Lawrence Welk's show, and this is written up in the script in here. And my dad would say to me, when the Irish tenor, and I'm not a tenor, I'm a baritone bass, that when the Irish tenor of the Lawrence Welk show had come out, my dad would say to me, now, this is what you need to do when you grow up. So I can just say, Dad, I grew up. <laughs> and so I've actually dedicated this to my father. So every piece of music, there is like almost like a dedication that goes with each song. So for me, it's a, it's a real redemptive act to honor my dad. Because he was the person that probably in this life also received some of the greatest pain. What's your favorite piece off this project? Uh, actually, I love them all. <laughs> but kind of uh, like ask, which is your favorite kid? Yeah, yeah. no, that's right. And, and, and right there I have four. So I say, you're my oldest favorite son. <laughs> you're my oldest favorite daughter. You're my favorite youngest son. And you're my favorite youngest daughter. I got that down. Buddy. Perfect. Okay, so, you know, <laughs> unforgettable on track number four, obviously, who would take on Nat King Cole's song. Nobody should, but I did. And every one of these songs, to me, have very special meaning that I did dedicate to uh, my late wife. Because everybody that knew her, she was unforgettable. And Brown Bannister, who's the executive producer, who's won 17 Grammys, 30 Doves, and four Tellies, so I got the privilege of working with the best. He thought that this rendition was so good that he went out and he found a uh, Grammy Award jazz pianist to come in. And then we got a muted trumpet player. And so the Lord gave us some of the top musicians and session singers in Nashville. And here I am, first time to the plate. So unforgettable means an enormous amount to me. Now, I sing publicly um, the first track, um, What a Wonderful World, Louis Armstrong sang. And when I start to sing that, see, everybody knows that piece of music. You've taken on some sacred songs, I did. brother. Wow. I know. I, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? And so the first track is Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. And it's like, oh, I should not be. But I have a resonance that's on my voice. And it just kind of, it carries. And as Brown said, Bannister, who wrote up some, you know, endorsements on this, 
He said, James Gall brings a distinction of a spiritual sensitivity to the old classics, and you will hear something in this when he sings that you won't hear when someone else sings these familiar songs. So when I'm singing, what a wonderful world, before I'm three-fourths done, normally, People are standing to their feet, applauding. Why? They relate to that piece of music. And if they know my journey, that if I can sing that song and mean it at least halfway from my heart, that is a miracle. Is music a new path for you? Or is this kind of a one off project that you knew you had to do before you? As you put it, graduated. Yeah, no, that, this is not a bucket list. You know, gotcha. you would think, you, you know, that's what people think. They, people think, dude, this is like, he's just got some stuff. He's got to get done. This is on his bucket list. I didn't have, I don't have a bucket list. Okay. I mean, if I have a bucket list, it's, you know, to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my soul, and my strength, and sometimes love my neighbor, you know, no. <laughs> and my family and et cetera. But this is me again rediscovering life i grew up as a singer i won a music contest you know state contests things like that when i was in high school i was in madrigals and things like that and then the jesus people movement and i was the lead singer of a group called light of the day and, and i choreographed or however i arranged music for a group called the seekers and stuff like that i did this i was a wedding singer and then i put it all on the shelf so this is me rediscovering a talent that I did hide and the Holy Spirit has absolutely challenged me. And so I had to rediscover how to sing because I knew how to sing with a full voice or just very soft in my 20s. But I did, really did not know how to sing with a 64-year-old voice. And so I spent an entire year with one of the top vocal trainers in Nashville that I did not qualify because this person only works with the top people. And I could tell you who and you would recognize them. And they don't, they don't, they don't work with people like me, except God's favor, God's favor. And so for a year, this vocal trainer tore me apart broke me down and showed me how I did not know how to sing. Now that was humiliating. There's an ego check for you. Dude, it was hard because I did know, but I didn't know with this voice. This voice is different from what it was 40 years ago. They had to unteach me what I thought I knew. And this was the hardest project I have put my hands to in 30 years that after one year of like disassembling me, we reassembled and found this rich, sustained, softer tone that I had never sung in in my life. And it's a new style of singing for me. And then later on, as we really get into it, then they go, now we want you to do Le Miserable. I'm going, 
I don't remember how to do a miserable. <laughs> That's what I used to. I don't know how to do. No, you do it. It's in you. Now bring out Le Miserable. I'm like, I don't know how. So it was a big stretch, <laughs> a big learning curve, and a lot of life. The catalyst for this new chapter in your life seems to be your wife's death. That's true. Is that right? How long were you married? Uh, we were married 32 and a half years. And this fall, on September 15th, she will have been with uh, the Lord for 10 years. For 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're, you are right. That is a pivotal issue that catapulted me as a single father, as a dad for, to four, someone who had paid every bill in my lifetime, never missed, went $300,000 in medical debt. I had to completely restart my life when most people are like winding down and figuring out their nest egg. I had to, in that sense, God gave, I want to say it redemptively because this can come across so victim mindset. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want a partner with a victim mindset. I want a partner that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. All things. It doesn't say that God causes all things. And it doesn't say that everything that happens in life is good, but it does say this. I will cause all things to work together for good for those who love God and have been called to his purpose. So I had to learn how to worship God with my questions. What questions did you ask God during this time? That I had to worship him with my questions. Because though we look through a mirror dimly on this side, we honestly, we don't get every question answered on this side. But there will be a day. And in worship, worship removes the sting of the pain when we worship God, no matter what. And we worship him with all of our heart. Worship helps heal the heart. Worship is a heart issue. So if you're really worshiping, it isn't compartmental. Worship is actually one of the most healing therapeutic things that you can do. Now, worship is unto God, but there is a result that happens to the person worshiping. Because when you worship, it is a heart issue. And so for me, singing, because I believe that these are inspirational songs. So the theme song for this, this album is called Never Alone, is from the 1940s musical Carousel, You'll Never Walk Alone. Now, as a kid growing up, believe it or not, I sang that song. I sang, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and a sweet silver song of the lark. Walk on, walk on. Though your dreams be tossed and torn, I could relate to those lyrics. Because as you would look at my life in the natural, my dreams seem pretty tossed and torn. Although compared to some people, hey, I traveled the world, ministered in 50 nations. I have prayed for 
presidents and people in authority and Supreme Court justice people and people in national security and government people and, and, and for the everyday person and done missions work and written over 40 books. And then at the end of the day, it's not what you've done. It's who you know. It's who you know. And so singing, worship is not singing. Worship is bowing down. The Hebrew word is to bow down in your heart before. But for me, singing is a dimension where I engage from the depths of my heart. And so to sing, you'll never walk alone. Or how about morning has broken like the first morning blackbird has spoken like the first bird that is a poetic song from the 1970s cat stevens made famous that you realize that that is a song about creation praising god and so i'm able to take those familiar songs that some people know now, my youngest daughter had never heard that piece of music before. And she goes, Dad. Now, she's a singer. She's a model, an actress, a singer, a songwriter, a social entrepreneur. And she hears that. She's never heard the song in her lifetime. And she goes, Dad, that's one of the most poetically beautiful songs. That's just gorgeous. And it is about creation praising God. So I can take it that was secular, but it's actually spiritual. That's a good point because most of the music on this, all of the music on this, yeah. are, they're not overtly Christian songs. No, they're not. But listening to your version, yeah. listening to you sing these songs, they ooze with, with God's hand. See, track number two is becoming popular again right now. But it was written in the 1960s by Burt Bacharach, and Dionne Warwick made it famous. What the world needs now is love. Do you realize that we're in a 50-year cycle right now? That what happened in the 1960s, like 67, is happening again 50 years later? Strife in the nation, racial tensions, on and on and on, free speech issues. We are in another cycle. And that song... What the world needs now is love was written in a time of strife and division in the nation. I believe that song needs brought forward because that song is a part of the healing that's needed for society and for people because we need to sing this song today. What the world needs now is love sweet love it's the only thing that there's just too little of the young gal who just won the voice 15 years old you know what song she sung and won in the finals for the voice that song what the world needs now is love and i believe that is a prophetic song from the heart of God to help heal people and help bring us into alignment with what is of the most importance. It's love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. 
It's the only thing that there's just too little of what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? You know, my background is a little different from most people's that in coming to faith. And that is, my mother's name was Elizabeth. And my mom had a miscarriage with a little boy on July 3rd, 1951. So I just actually had my 66th birthday. The, she was uh, expecting, and my mom and my dad had uh, two daughters. And so she was five months pregnant. She lost the, the little boy. That day, July 3rd, 1951, Elizabeth prayed. And she told God, if you'll give me another son, I'll dedicate him to Christ's service. Now, I was born exactly one year later to the very date, July 3rd, 1952. And I didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> I was born as of an Elizabeth. She wasn't a Hannah who was barren, but she cried to God. And she set apart the fruit of her womb to God for full-time Christian service. So I say, I came out, I waved my hand, and I said, hallelujah. You know, we can argue all day long about predestination. My gosh, this is as, as good of a good an example of predestination as I've ever heard. Well, I think it's a good example that God hears the prayers of a mother. Was there a time where your faith became your own and you said, yeah. you know what? I, I know, I, I know the story of my mom and yeah. I honor that. Right. Uh, and, and I've, and I've lived that life up to this point, yeah. but yeah, I, I buy this stuff. I believe this. Oh, was there I, a time that that happened with you? You know, there was probably several times that that happened, <laughs> you know, uh, I was one of those guys that, uh, asked Jesus into my heart, like every day. And, but I lived in the uncertainty of my salvation. So here was one of my defining moments. In 1972, when I'm 20 years old, Campus Crusade for Christ, held with uh, uh, you know, Bill Bright, held in Dallas, Texas, Explo 72. I went to it. I lived in the Kansas City area and got on a bus and went to Dallas, Texas. The fifth night, Dr. Billy Graham spoke. And he spoke on commitment. I knew logically what he was going to do. And he was going to give a call for people to surrender their lives, not just to God, but to vocational ministry. And I remember that night when Dr. Billy Graham spoke. And now I would say my heart burned. I can feel it, sense it, know it right now. And I think that some of you might have like the fire of God even hit your own heart right now. And I came from a John Wesley, a Methodist background, and John Wesley wasn't even fully converted yet. 
and was already in full-time ministry. And, and he was returning across the Atlantic Ocean, and, and there was a great storm, and there were these people called the Moravians, and they weren't afraid of the storm at all. And he goes over and, and he asked them, and because he was afraid, and they testified to him about Christ. And it was right after that that John Wesley, you know, the ship made it through the storm, gets back to England. He goes to what was called Aldersgate, and that's when he had his, where his heart burned warmly within. Well, I've had some of those heart-burning warmly within encounters. One was at Explo 72, the fifth night, when Billy Graham spoke on commitment. I have part of that message memorized to this day because it was like a hot branding iron scorched my heart. And I stood to my feet with no emotion whatsoever. I just stood in raw obedience. But yet at the same time, I could say my heart was on fire. And that was when for my own life, I truly surrendered to that call. So um, my testimony is a little different from most people's. And so I want some of you to out there to know this. God can keep you. That's part of my testimony, even after all these years. My testimony is of the keeping grace of God. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you'll face, keep your hand on the plow and keep looking straight ahead because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And his grace can not only deliver you, his grace can keep you. You mentioned earlier that you, uh, you don't question God necessarily, but you question your salvation. Do you still do that? Is oh, that- no. Oh, no, no. I never, I, that, that took a while to become a student of the word. And then that, you know, when you ask and you believe that Jesus has come, well, he came. He doesn't have to come 50 million times, okay? But so I was the kind of guy that, you know, in, in growing up, I was just, uns- I was, did not have what you would call the assurance of my salvation. And, uh, but, oh, yeah, but how did that, how did I turn a corner on that one? By reading the Bible, okay? Because I was more of a person who loved God with all my heart, but my church background wasn't as strong as it was necessarily on the, you know, the evangelical preaching of the gospel or the convictions of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and things of that nature. Although at the same time, I was really taught the love of God. So it was when the Bible, when I got a relationship with the written word, that my heart became anchored in the assurance in, in the living word. Finally, as we wrap up, what would you say to that person that doesn't necessarily believe right now? They're standing right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God. You know, I want you to know this. It's so simple. I do a lot of social media. And something that I just posted was a quote from Elizabeth Elliot just this last week. And I quoted this. God loves you with an everlasting love. 
And underneath that love, you are held by his everlasting arms. I want you to know that out there. I want you to know the assurance that God loves you, period. That salvation is not about works performance. It's about a heart of faith. And so I want to encourage you in this. God absolutely loves you. God's absolutely nuts about you. He's crazy about you. He is so in love with you that he made salvation accessible, understandable, and connectable because it's not a religion. It is a relationship. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Never Alone by James W. Gall. If you want to hear some of the most famous inspirational music there is through the voice of a man that loves God deeply, get this project. Never Alone. James Gall, thanks for being with me. God bless you, brother. Thank you. James' website is GodEncounters.com. Never Alone is available right now on Amazon.com. As usual, all of today's links can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 115. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 115. I really love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertained you, encouraged you, or informed you in any way whatsoever, will you consider financially backing the show by using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com? We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, but it won't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Mr. James Gull for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real, He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us and we would love to hear from you.